Anyone ready? Okay. Welcome everyone to the November 17, 2022 meeting of the Parks and Open Space Commission. With no further delay, I um, call um, the meeting to order. But first, we'll see um, a video on how to participate in the meeting. Oh. Let's skip that part. Okay, okay. <laughs> so then we go to item number two, public comment. And we have open time for public expression, up to three minutes per speaker on items that are not that on the um, Parks and Open Space Commission agenda. I'd like to remind you that while members of the public are welcome to address the commission under the Brown Act, Commission members may not deliberate on or act on items on the agenda, and generally we listen only. Um, also, the order will be, we'll have people in the cha in the chamber, and then we'll go to the people, on, we still have people online, right? Okay, and then we'll move to people online. So I'll open the time for, for any public expression or, or comments. Okay. No online? But nobody in, nobody in chambers will check with Al online to see if there's any, anybody. Okay, we're, we're going to check if is there is someone online that want to make a, a comment. Yes, we do. We have Mr. Bill Hale. Please unmute. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead, sir. Yep. Yes, this is uh, Bill Hale, H-A-L-E. I'd like to comment on minutes in general. Uh, please, uh, commissioners, stop these, the sanitizing of the department's positions on the various items that they comment on from time to time. If you look at the minutes, it just says they answered the question and the gist of what they answered isn't included. Please include that. Uh, I hope you have the power to do it. I'll be taking a look at your bylaws and seeing if, if you do. You should. Uh, and I can tell you one commission right now is in the process of revising their charter with the, uh, with the board, the supervisors. So uh, that's something you should be able to do, I hope. Uh, it's important for people to be able to glance at that quickly rather than have to go through an hour and a half or uh, video to, to get those kind of answers. There's no justifiable reason to not include those in there. Uh, you might uh, ask some hard questions about why that's being done. Thank you very much. Thank you. There are no, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Any other comments online? Okay. There then. are no additional speakers in the queue. Thank you, and we'll move to, thank you for the comments, and we'll move to the next item, number three. We're, we're going to have introduction of a new commissioners. We have um, three new members that recently have been appointed by the Board of Supervisors in October. Those new members are Carolyn Lawn, Michael Diet, and Yolanda Oviedo. And um, I have to tell you that Carolyn Long had existing plans prior to, to her appointment that are keeping her from attending today's meeting, but, we, but she will be attending the next meeting in January. But we have here um, Yolanda and um, also Michael, and I would like to introduce them to the, to the commissioners and to the public. And I'm gonna give some opportunity for you to talk something, to tell something about your background. 
Yep, it's on. I have been a resident of Marin County for, I want to say, 25 years. I have been, I immigrated from Mexico, and I think being in Marin has exposed me to just nature and the beauty of Marin. I think we can all agree on that. And um, being in this, serving in this commission is going to just, I think for me, my, my view, my vision is to just empower more people like me to take advantage of the outdoor space that's available in, in, in our county, um, to, to come and respect it and love it and, and really use it for, for um, recreation purposes, for mental health, um, and anything that you know, we, can, we can do to just help ourselves feel better. And so um, I'm really proud to be here and, and hopefully I can represent well. Thank you. My name is Michael Diet, and I live in Mill Valley, California, with my wife. And uh, we've been there since 1990, so it's about 32 years. I'm a city planner. I've been doing city planning um, in California and around the country since 1972, and have also served in my community on a number of, of uh, appointments dealing with uh, urban planning, and I've always been very excited about the opportunity being someone who spends a lot of time out on, on Mount Tam and hiking around uh, the county to be able to help uh, and participate in the commission's efforts, both uh, in terms of parks and in open space. And uh, with Yolanda, I share the interest in trying to make sure that we're offering opportunities to all segments of the community and what we can particularly do to reach out to some who may not have um, been engaged so far. Thank you, Thank you Commissioner Oviedo and Commissioner Diet. And uh, any comments from public? First the, the public present and then online. Online, uh, Commissioner Guardado. There are no speakers in the queue. Oh, okay. So, any comments from the commissioners present? Yes, sir. Uh, Oscar, and I'm sure the other commissioners uh, uh, are saying uh, we'd like to welcome you, and uh, I think you'll find this very engaging commission. I think you picked the right one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And i also like to uh, just express thanks to both Mary and Dennis, uh, who uh, just have recently left the commission and uh, just really did a good job and added a lot to, uh, to our agendas. Uh, appreciate their time and effort. No other comments, we move to uh Item number four, this is an informational item, the director's report. With no further delay, I pass this to Max. Thank you, commissioners. Max Corton, director of Marin County Parks. And um, a few things, I'll try to go through them quickly. First, uh, like Pat, I want to recognize and appreciate the commissioners who um, uh, recently left the commission, Dennis Scremen, Roger Harris, and Mary Stump. Um, really appreciate all of their work over the years. Um, Additionally, I wanted to mention there's a few really exciting um, vegetation management fuels reduction projects going on right now 
uh, uh, part of our Greater Ross Valley fuel break work, um, our forest health resilience work with as part of One Tam, and some work in Kent Woodlands that's uh, part of a grant funded by the Coastal Conservancy with Marin Water. So a lot of that kind of work going on. You'll hear a lot more about that uh, today uh, in one of the items. Uh, additionally, we are um, just starting the planning process for um, replacing and improving a playground out at Stinson Beach at uh, Village Green Park out there. And we are going to have some staff, uh, including Tara, who's going to present today, uh, tabling out there from 11 to 2 on Saturday to talk to folks to understand how folks are interested in utilizing the playground there. It serves a lot more than just the community in Stinson Beach because folks who come out to visit use it. Um, uh, additionally, it, uh, we've, we've been celebrating this whole year, but recently, just a couple weeks ago, was the actual date of the 50th anniversary of the Open Space District. And so we've had events uh, that are on our, our calendar on our website all year long uh, to celebrate. But another way that folks can celebrate is uh, you can take a quiz on our website or it's on all of our social media. And, uh, and you can, for taking that quiz, you can get a water, Marin County Parks water bottle. And then if you show up to different community uh, events, ranger-led events, volunteer events, you can get stickers to put on your water bottle. So if you love reusable water bottles and cool stickers, then, um, then this is a, a good event for you. And, um, and then uh, two more quick things to mention. Uh, on October 26th, we had a really cool event out at the Pizza Junction in, in uh, Tam Valley, which was our peak health uh, report. We had 150 people come out to hear some uh, quick presentations about sort of the science of what's going on on, on uh, Mount Tam. And you'll get to hear a little bit of, of that kind of reporting uh, today from uh, Serena and Julian, uh, who will talk about our natural resources program. But it was just a really neat, inspiring uh, event. And, uh, and then lastly, out there in the same area, Bothine Marsh, we're planning a, a major sea level rise adaptation project, and there's currently a survey online on our website and on the One Tam website asking folks to give input about the planning for that project. So a lot going on. Certainly a lot going on. Uh, any, any comment from the public in the chamber? And then we'll move online if there's no comment. Any comments from the commissioners? No? Okay. Let's did move you, to the... Did you make sure, Al, were there any comments online? Yes, we do have one speaker, oh. Larry Minicus. Please unmute. Yes, sorry for my lateness on the uh, very first item. And on behalf of NCL, I would like to welcome our uh, new uh, commissioners and also uh, uh, agree with um, uh, Max Corton and um, uh, show my appreciation, show our appreciation for our commissioners that have just left the board. Thank you so much. Thank you. There are no additional speakers in the queue. Thank you. So we'll move to item number five, which is approve minutes for meeting held in September 15. This is. I, I second that. Okay. All in favor? Oh, we got to have check for public comments oh, again. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Thank you, Max. We check for any public comments on the 
last minute in the chamber online. Commissioner Guardado, there are no speakers in the queue. Okay. Then uh, we'll call for a vote. All in favor, say aye. Aye. Okay, then it's approved unanimously. We'll move to the next item. It's an action item, an item number six, and that's select one member from the commission to represent the Parks and Open Space Commission on the Measure A Citizen Oversight Committee. Um, I move we appoint Commissioner O'Brien. Any second? Okay. Okay. So we bought any any public comment before we vote in chamber online. Commissioner Wardado, there are no speakers in the queue. Okay, thank you. So all in favor? Go. So just for a point of clarification, we should probably just clarify the motion just before we actually conduct the vote. So as I understand it, the vote. Uh, the motion is to appoint uh, Commissioner O'Brien to fulfill the recent vacancy formerly held by Commissioner Stomp, Correct. and that term is for one year, so there was one year remaining on that term, so this will go through essentially two Measure A oversight meetings, one this spring and then the November meeting next, uh, next November 2023, so Correct. just wanted to clarify. Okay, great. Thank you, Chris. So we proceed to the vote. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay. Approve unanimously. Okay. We move to item number seven. That's the update on the department work funded by Measure A in fiscal year 2021-2022. Staff will present various projects updates, including road and trail vegetation and fuels management, and park facilities. And I'll pass this to Max. Thank you, commissioners. Um, this is one of the really cool um, opportunities that we have each year, and we try to bring this both to our oversight committee and to your commission in November each year to describe the, some of the work that was accomplished. And this year we're really focusing on three areas. So one is our um, vegetation and fuels management because that's an area that we've heard is a top priority from the community, and we have a whole new funding uh, requirement in the updated Measure A, and Jim's going to present about that. And then um, our park facilities work has really been sort of the, the biggest area of expenditures that we've had over the last uh, nine years, ten years of Measure A. So we wanted to focus on that. And then lastly, our road and trail work, uh, John Campo, Tara is going to present on the, on the uh, parks work. John Campbell is going to talk about our road and trail work. That's something I think we're really proud of, and, and it's uh, been, I think, eight, seven or eight years since the road and trail management plan was completed, and so this is a really neat opportunity, not just to talk about the last year, but look back at the last uh, uh, however many years, that is seven, eight years, and, uh, and the work that's been accomplished uh, to follow up on that plan. So with that, I will turn it over to Jim, who's part of a whole team that manages our vegetation and fuels reduction work. Um, before you get started, I think it would be helpful to the new commissioners if you said your name and what you do so they, they understand your position. 
Keika. I'm a superintendent with Marin County Parks. Um, one of my roles is to help, one of our, my roles is to help uh, manage our vegetation management program, a fire fuel reduction program. And as part of those efforts, that involves um, coordinating and planning with all of our fire uh, partners, uh, the fire jurisdiction, as well as our many stakeholders and private landowners who are our neighbor, neighbors of ours um, in terms of the network of lands that we manage. So I thought I'd just start with a map, and I, I want to, without going to, into too much detail here, just, just set the table that this is a map that's intended to show uh, areas that are managed by different land management agencies, such as the National Park Service and state parks, as well as ourselves throughout the county. Just to orient you, you'll see you know, the Richmond Bridge, which is a little thin red, red line on the right side of the map. Um, you know That obviously comes across straight to San Rafael, so just a little bit north of that is where we're all sitting now. And then you see uh, Point Reyes to the west, and then Nevada's kind of cut off at the top of the screen. Um, so some of the greens are hard to, to distinguish, but the yellow really does stand out, hopefully. And what, that, what those blobs show is, the, is what's referred to as the wildland urban interface. Uh, we'll probably refer to that as the WUI. That's what uh, fire folks tend to call it. And so what that is is these are fire hazardous areas that are, exist in the built environment, essentially at the transition between homes and communities are and where the forested areas are. And so those are areas that tend to need more attention for fire prevention work. And then if you look even closer at some of the red lines, those represent the WUI that's in Marin County Parks and Open Space Lands. So that's you know something that's unique about us as an agency is that our lands primarily exist with, within or adjacent to the built environment. You know, we manage 16,000 acres and we have about 3,500 neighbors and backyards that exist in this wilderness urban interface, um, totaling about 5,000 acres total, which is a significant percentage of the lands that we manage. So we are right in people's backyards. We're in this corridor where um, fire prevention is really important. Um, which is the whole motivation for our work, which is to um, achieve a number of goals, which I'll talk about here in a second. Um, all of our projects that we develop, we, we strive to achieve multiple benefits through the work. And what that means is that, you know, number one, we want to try to be good neighbors and we want to protect our neighbors from fire risk. So uh, we will create defensible space, which is thinning of vegetation within 100 feet of people's homes. But in Implementing that work, we want to also um, have the benefit of improving biodiversity and kind of tackling weeds in the process, things that improve the lands that we manage. So, uh, you know, these, these areas that are in the defensible spa space zones tend to be disturbed areas already just by the virtue of them being within the built environment. Those are areas that often invite weeds, seeds, and they're kind of like weedy areas, disturbed areas. Um, and by targeting those areas, we can also kind of create a buffer that protects the interior of our preserve from you know, these, the transmission of, of some of these weeds into the interior of our preserves. So that's the goals of our work. And then I want to just, through the next couple of slides, talk about how we get this work done. Um, one big tool and big partnership is the use of labor crews to do this work. And the Marin County Fire Department has been a really um, important and solid partner of ours. Uh, they have a crew of folks called the TAM crew, which is uh, a group of seasonal employees that are highly skilled at uh, vegetation management. Um, and what they 
allow us to do is that when we work in some of these challenging areas where vegetation material disposal is challenging, uh, they also have the capacity to be able to create burn piles and come up with creative ways of disposing material that's not always possible uh, with other vendors or other labor sources. So they could chip material, they can stack it to decompose, they can stack it for future burning. Um, and Measure A has been a really important mechanism for us to be able to have these labor arrangements with the fire department to do that work. So this slide, um, Max mentioned this in his manager's report very briefly, but this is one where we use the TAM crew. This is, this is a part of a um, $3.5 million forest health grant that was received by the Golden Gate National Parks Conservancy. Um, the goal of this on our lands is to um, address encroaching small Douglas fir on the San Geronimo Ridge. And we were the benef uh, we were the receiving, um, we received $150,000 in order to address those needs. And so the, the, important, the importance of that work for us is not just the, not just the managing of the in invasive species for overall forest health, but also it's an important corridor. These fire roads are important corridors and facilities for our fire partners, both to, um, you know, attack or to address a fire that might be spreading in any particular area and to have safe buffers of passage. So they're not just corridors where they're passing through on their, in their fire truck and um, just trying to speed past vegetation that's right next to the road. They need to be able to defend a fire at any point along those, uh, along those corridors. These are different. They're not fire breaks. They're not fuel breaks, but they are important corridors and features that we want to maintain. So um, that's a project that the TAM crew has, uh, has been supporting for us. And this is a, a photo of what that work looks like. So the top is just, you know, photo shows the crews in action, very similar to any number of fire projects where folks are limbing up trees, removing thinner diameter uh, trees and ground vegetation and bringing it to a chipper or creating piles. And, you know, I think a lot of folks, when they think about this work, they think of creating, you know, bare ground or these really kind of denuded areas. And that's really not the goal. We, what we want to do is create um, shaded environments that help suppress weeds and but you thin some of the material out so that if there's a ground fire it's not able to you know migrate up into the canopies and become a bigger issue so the left photo bottom left photo shows the uh, the area before treatment the bottom right photo shows the photo after the work so what's remaining are you know existing trees that are 10 inches in diameter or larger lar you know all the thinner stuff has been removed and then any weeds, broom, other invasive species, and dead and down material on the ground has been removed. Um, another important tool that we use um, is goats and grazing. And, you know, grazing has been also uh, uh, something in our toolkit that we use depending on the situation. It's, it's not the best tool for every environment, but it can be really useful for hard-to-reach places where you know, human crews are, have less accessibility or whether they're in, in places where there may be um, invasive species like poison oak or other hazardous things that make it really challenging for hand crews to get in there. Goats do a really good job of that. In fact, they like to eat that in a lot of situations. Um, so over the past three years and more, we've, we've evaluated the effectiveness of grazing in different areas. Um, we'll go out to the sites after in post-grazing and see, you know, has there, are there signs of erosion? Um, are invasive species present that weren't there before and try to evaluate whether um, it makes sense to continue grazing that area or whether we've created conditions that other, you know, modes of treatment are, are possible now. Um, in the past year, there was about 106 acres that were grazed. 
Um, that cost about $90,000 total. This is primarily in the Terralindi Sleepy Hollow area, kind of straight that way through the, through the windows, um, which ends up breaking down to being uh, slightly more than about $1,000 per day for um, about 800 goats. So that's you know fairly economical um, when you compare it to the cost of a hand crew, especially with just the market and the labor rates that exist today. So that continues to be you know one of the ways that we treat or pre-treat some of these fire prevention or fire fuel reduction projects. Um, and then another another tool uh, is obviously the private sector. So this is hand crews. You know, I started out with talking about some of our government partners through the fire um, fire service. Talked about the goats and, and animals and sort of that strategy. And then there's tree companies. There are landscape services, uh, landscape companies, arborists, a, a whole variety uh, um, of private contractors that have been long-standing partners of ours. And actually, that's an interesting um, it's an interesting sector right now because it's developing pretty quickly. Folks recognize in the private sector that there's a high demand in Marin County and throughout the region to scale up and to, to be able to have the skills to do this kind of work. It's different than ornamental gardening. It's, it takes a, an understanding of uh, you know, forest ecology and plant health and invasive species identification in a different environment that's not necessarily someone's um, you know, groomed backyard. So, so there's more and more um, vendors that are becoming available for this. But um, it's also a challenging, uh, it's also a challenging area, uh, sector as well because there are just so many demands on those individuals for their work, especially when, you know, given that there's the Marin Wildfire Prevention Authority which is bringing millions of dollars for this kind of prevention work. There are in private individuals that are investing in this because they recognize the importance of protecting their homes and properties and their loved ones. So um, there's a high demand. But um, between those sort of three labor sources, we're able to put together a pretty robust program. Um, one question I get a lot from community members is just, well, how do you direct your staff? How do you direct your crews, or your contracted crews, or your partners to, to do this work? So I thought it'd be useful just to show you a map that would be an example of a type of a project that we've developed. Um, so this is a aerial map of Point the Point Reyes area, Mesa Road. And it's, it shows our sort of GIS approach to how we develop uh, field references for people doing this work. So the red blobs on there are basically a computer-generated um, polygon that buffers out from habitable structures 100 feet. And when you do that, you just get sort of random structures depending on where the structures exist in the landscape. What's cool about the technology now is that, you know, with these kinds of polygons, folks can put them on their handheld device or others and use a software called Avenza or other similar software that geo-references their location using this tool. So they'd be able to be in a, a remote place where we don't necessarily have a lot of bo property boundary markers or survey monuments and things like that and use this tool to orient themselves to where they are and make sure that they're conducting work on our land. Sometimes people are excited that, oh, you know, why don't you come on over to our land too and do a little bit of work, but some people just don't want that. So um, this has been a, a very solid tool for us to be able to um, help manage crews on the ground when we're there in present and supervising the work, but also to um, have those partners sort of monitor their location themselves while they're on the site. Um, I've got only two slides left, and then I'll turn it over to Tara to talk about parks facilities, but I wanted to end in talking about um, building new capacity and talking a little bit about our partnership with organizations like Conservation Corps North Bay. 
Um, this is a youth uh, training and job development program that accomplishes a number of goals. I mean, uh, the county has been focused <coughs> on equity, diversity, and inclusion on a number of levels, and that's a value of our department too. And, and you know, by supporting programs like that that are geared towards conducting the kind of work I'm describing today, which is like doing grass cutting, um, trail work, fire prevention work, and vegetation management, we can support organizations that um, provide these skills to young people who may then want to pursue a career with us or with another land manager or any one of our partners that are doing this kind of work right now. So it's been, um, it's been a really important tool for us just because it's been a dedicated labor source as well to achieve a lot of the goals we want to do, especially in this competitive work environment that I described. But it also has been leading to some really interesting employment opportunities and um, connecting with populations that um, has been a challenge to do so in the past. Uh, a really good example of sort of creative thinking in that way is a program called the Fire Foundry. This is an extension of Conservation Corps North Bay that um, was developed in partnership with the Marin County Fire Department. So the Fire Foundry basically is the CCMB, Conservation Corps North Bay model, uh, but fo focused exclusively on partnering with the fire department and fo focusing exclusively on fire prevention projects, fire hazard reduction projects. Um, so they have a dedica dedicated crew that's supervised by a, uh, a, um, a captain from Marin County Fire Department. Um, they are like a four-hire uh, four crew, and they've been a really important um, tool for us in getting a lot of the work done that I already described. They, they did work on San Geronimo Ridge for us. We already have them um, slated for work for next fiscal year, well, for the remainder of this fiscal year and for next, next fiscal year, a lot of these projects. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing how that develops, but continuing to use all the other tools that we um, have been for a long time. That's it for me. Thanks, Jim. And we'll, we'll do questions and comments at the end, um, and I'll ask Tara to come on up here. And while she's coming up, um, you know, also mention one thing that's really cool related to that. We, uh, uh, a professor from Humboldt State University did some work on looking at, at you know, some of the forest health work. And, and one thing that was really neat to note is that doing that kind of thinning in the forest and saving some of the bigger trees and taking out the smaller ones actually enables the forest to put on, you know, sequester more carbon to build those bigger trees. So there's, you know, just so many benefits to doing, doing this work. Um, and I'll ask Tara McIntyre to come up, who's our uh, principal landscape architect and manages our projects team. Um, and is doing a lot of amazing work. All right. Good afternoon. Uh, as Max said, I'm Tara McIntyre. I'm a principal landscape architect. And uh, our project and design team, just for folks who may be um, Confused. We're, we are landscape architects. We used to be the landscape architect team, so we're we're still getting used to our new hat as project and design team, um, which is appropriately named. Uh, so today we're going to walk you through some projects, and this is exciting because there's new commissioners here, so you'll see works. Some of these projects will be um, some of the commissioners have seen before, but uh, they're now finished, so we get to show you the completed photos. Uh, all right, so we're gonna start off at uh, Black Point. Black Point is, this was a 
renovation improvement project that we received a grant from, uh, from the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation, which was money that came from the Costco, Costco Busan oil spill. So this was a, a grant that allowed us to make improvements. And it, this is one of our really popular uh, boating and fishing access points, and as all of our facilities are that access the water. And uh, so the, the pictures really say it for, speak for themselves, but this project was uh, providing shade, it was providing uh, new picnic tables and new trash receptacles, and, and really giving us a nice facelift uh, for the public to um, experience and, and have different op options to enjoy the park. Um, you can see here too, this is where we provided new bike racks and new paving and improving maintenance. You know, sometimes little turf islands are uh, wasted space or, you know, it makes it more usable for, for this function in this, in this condition. So we finished that, oh my gosh, I can't remember. Uh, it's all a blur this last year. I think it was about a year ago we finished that. Uh, so, and then we'll stay on the Bayside. Um, this is down Bayside Park. This is actually in San Rafael. This is a little pocket vest park you could fit in your pocket. Uh, it's, don't blink, it's on your way to McNear's. It'll be on the right-hand side if you're coming from town. This is a, was a ADA improvement access project because as you can see in the photos in your packets and on the screen, the roots of the trees really heaved the asphalt. Uh, asphalt is not, does not do well with tree roots, um, and especially certain types of trees such as these. And we were able to make some very significant improvements to the uh, walkways and make this park fully accessible. And you'll see in the, in the next few slides here, uh, this is during construction. We rerouted some of the, you know, created new, um, had to change the, the routing because of the grades. Uh, we included new uh, planting, which you can see in the back here. Uh, so it's mostly, most majority is native plantings and we uh, selected site appropriate trees and new benches and new uh, other site furnishings. This also, this park has a accessible parking stall um, on the side, so this is, that was a, a great feature. Uh, the mulch that you'll see in the foreground, I just drove by, it's, it's, this was put, this park was done during the drought, so we opted to not install the sod uh, turf areas, and uh, that is, I'm pretty sure it's going down tomorrow. All the, the sub bases is down, and the, the carpet of green will, will be down tomorrow, so that will look really, um, so just imagine green where the front mulch is. This next project, while we're speaking of access, uh, this is a small project, but a really important one. Back in 2016, we completed our inclusive access plan uh, as part of our system-wide. It addresses um, mostly open space, but it also addresses uh, some of our park projects, uh, facilities, and Agate is one of those. Uh, this facility, the trail, was addressed as part of our discovery trail system as, as part of the IAP. So we improved the trail access down to a certain point for folks to get down and enjoy views of the beach. And as part of that, this trail signage helps to allow people to make the decisions based on their own ability. So you've probably seen these signs in national park system or in the state park system, and it, it tells you the, the trail slope, it tells you how what the um, surface is, it tells you how long it is in terms of 
um, how far you can go. So you can make those decisions on your own. So as much as this is a small project, it was, a, it was an important one as we move through and working on our IAP plan. You'll learn IAP as you stay on this commission. You'll know all our little acronyms by the end. Um, so this is a project, this is phase three. Um, I'm sure the, the commissioners who've been here for a while are familiar with this and the public who have, have listened to our presentations before know about this and they've hopefully seen them out in our preserves. This was um, our continued effort to keep installing these, you know, you can see the old style on the left, um, but as we've, you know, this is our third, third phase, and we keep building and learning along the way, and we've been designing new signage uh, and new messaging. And so, how do we, how do we, you know, get people to be more compliant? And so, we we're talking about our watersheds and why it's important for you to pick up your dog waste and dispose of it. And and so, you'll see these continuing to be put out in our preserves. Uh, the thing that's really exciting about this is that people love them and we've had a lot of res uh, good reception and we get phone calls, our superintendents and chiefs, they get ca calls all the time. When can we have one at our preserve entry? So, um, and it's great. I, it's, uh, it's been a really rewarding project for all of us and, and uh, it looks good. So staying in the realm of entryways, this is a pilot project that we completed um, back in the spring. This was a project to uh, improve access, but in a different way, you know, in light of uh, reducing carbon footprints, this was another way to offer people uh, a different means or modality to get to our preserves. Most of our preserves, most all of our preserves do not have parking. And so how do we, and, and it was brought to our attention that folks like to ride their bikes. And so now we have a bike rack system at, this is pilot project. Uh, this is at Ring Mountain at the bottom of Phyllis Elman Trail. So this is on a bike route, a um, very popular bike route around Tiburon Loop. And um, on this point, we call it Tiburon Loop Ride. Um, but this is so you can bike to hike. And this is actually, this trail, Phyllis Elman is a no bike trail. So it's kind of reinforces the fact that we want you to lock your bike up here and come enjoy the trails. This project actually just came from this. This project is a um, another prototype. So building on our open space signage pr project, uh, which we can, well, we're still working on, but the majority of it was completed in 2020, um, 21, uh, where we addressed all of our entryways and all of our wayfinding signage throughout our preserves. We've moved on to the next phase, and that is addressing our pathways. and. Our pathways are one of the most popular uh, facilities, especially the Mill Valley Sausalito Pathway. These signs, and as I started to say, we've learned a lot with the sign, sign plan project that we did in open space. And so these signs, as you can see on the, um, on the, in the concept form, are providing a consolidated um, wayfinding kind of uh, point at certain entries where we're providing maps, because that's been really successful in our open space, having the maps at the, at the entries. We have rules, and we're also providing um, the, the system-wide bike, uh, for Marine, the bike system signage that you see throughout with the route signs and um, the green signs, we're integrating that as well. So we're trying to declutter a little bit and kind of and make it a more welcoming system 
And you'll see here, this is a photo simulation. It is not in yet, but it is going in in the next uh, several weeks. Again, this is a prototype. We'll also be putting one at uh, Horse Hill in the parking at the end of the Horse Hill path. So we're going to be testing that out and hopefully we'll be rolling that out throughout our pathways uh, after that. And this is further south on the pathway. Uh, so this is down by um, gate from gate six, so Sausalito up to Tam, just about Tam High. This section of pathway uh, was, had not been touched since 1981. And uh, we, it took a while to, to, to get through for permitting, but um, this cuts right through Bothine Marsh. It is along an old railroad bed. And as you can see, the cracks and the, the buckling, and it was time to do at least get, um, put a Band-Aid on it for, um, to keep it in good operating and safe condition until uh, we're able to uh, finish our work on the Bothine project, which I'm, um, we won't talk about today, but that's something that our department is also working on. So this was a microsurfacing project. So it's really a fancy way of saying a slurry seal, but it's, a, it's more durable. Um, it's, it was the appropriate surfacing for this, this particular pathway. We also were able to restripe it and put down our share of the path logos. Um, this project really was a, um, not a fancy project, but one of the things that was great was how well we had to, um, we collaborated and all of our stakeholders collaborated together to, to make this a success because we actually had to close this path for two days um, during school. So that was a bit challenging, but it ended up being a really um, successful project and a much more pleasant ride down the pathway. And on the topic of surfacing, this is McNear's parking lot. Uh, McNear's parking lot is at our one of our crown jewels of our regional parks. If you have not been, I highly recommend you, you get a chance to go down there and visit. Um, this parking lot, again, was and you can see it in the photos, there were divots and parking, the asphalt had been deteriorated quite a bit. And we took this opportunity uh, to resurface, or redo the, the asphalt, and while we were doing that, we uh, addressed the circulation of the park, because it was like a slalom course trying to get in there around all those islands. Um, the plantings had degraded over time, and, and so with and additionally, we were able to leverage Measure A funds. We received a grant through Prop 68 for about $480,000. So with that, we were able to resurface the entire parking lot, new striping. Uh, this also integrated new stormwater management. So there's bioswales throughout this parking lot. Um, and so now you, um, that's what you see when you come in. And the last two projects are we're gonna skip up north back up to Novato and go to Stafford. So Stafford Lake Park uh, is um, currently we're proposing a, a trail system and, and really it's to formalize some existing pathways and, and improve the connectivity. You know, there's a bike path that goes from Novato all the way to the park. And, and then you get to the park and then you're kind of spun out onto the, our internal road system. So it's a way to take people out of, off the, the internal roadway of, our par, of the park itself 
and um, connect the existing pathways and also connect different features in the park because we have a bike park there. We have uh, the disc golf, which is one of, a, one of our more popular facilities there. It's actually one of the top disc golf uh, facilities in the area. Um, so this project will help fill the, here, let me go to the next one. This will help fill the gaps and, and create a, a really wonderful um, opportunity to experience the park. Um, there'll be, we've had running events in the past. We've had cross-country bike uh, NorCal events in the past too, and that's, this will help to provide another uh, venue for them, a more formalized venue for them. And the final facility, or sorry, project we're gonna speak about. This, this is under, um, is still in design, but we're working towards construction uh, for summer of 2023. This is a pump track. And it's an all-weather pump track. Uh, it's asphalt. But as you can see in these photos, these are representative photos of what uh, we will be constructing. And this is the location right now. Um, when you come into the park, the, the, the entry gateway is off to the, if you're looking at the photo, it's off to the right. And that's Nevada Boulevard on the top. Um, and this is the proposed uh, configuration so there's two pump tracks there's a kids because we've learned we built the the bike park back in 2000 oh my gosh 15 16 um, and uh, it's been extremely successful and the pump tracks in particular have drawn probably some of the biggest crowds and we've learned that the little little ones like to be off to the side and then as they get skills they can go off to the larger pump track um, and one of the biggest things that's been a challenge is the maintenance because uh, it's dirt. And in the winter, when it does rain, it's, we have to close it. And so these, these facilities are all weather, stay open all year round. Um, and the highlight is that they can actually be used by more than just bikes. So there's skateboards, there's roller, roller blades, there's um, the, the scooters and bikes, and then even wheelchairs. It's not, an ex it's not an universally accessible, but the, the builders of these, they build them in such a way, again, if you have the ability to get down in there, you sure can. You can it's a, so it's, it's, it's a, um, uh, a really um, versatile facility, and it will have all the amenities that most um, park features like this would have with a shade structure, picnic tables, seating, viewing area. So that's... This is one of the projects we're working on right now. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to John Campo. Thank you. Thanks, Tara. Thanks, Tara. And while John's getting up here, I'd just say one of the really cool things about Stafford Lake is the work there builds on several years of improvements where really that's turned into a park that sometimes people used for like weddings or big events into a place where families, people go every day, every weekend to go to the bike park, to the playground, to the zip line. There's all kinds of cool stuff there and all kinds of families and, and, and folks enjoying it. So I'll turn it over to John. Thanks, Max. Good afternoon, commissioners. Um, my name is John Campo. I'm the principal natural resource planner. Um, I'm mostly involved with public access projects, and that's likely what you'll hear me talking about when I come here. But I also have my hands in a lot of natural resource protection um, throughout open space. And so um, usually what I do is I talk about kind of the end of the year, what we did this past year. But I thought um, 
like Max said in the intro, it's been a few years since we've been implementing the RTMP, and because we have some new commissioners, I thought it was an opportunity to um, review our process a little bit and review some of the work we've done over the last six years. So um, Marin County Parks Preserve. So we have over 16,000 acres of open space. We have 34 preserves. Um, we have 76 miles of designated trails and we have 100 miles of roads. And like most land agencies, we don't, when we purchase property over the decades and recently, we don't, we don't get to um, design them. They're already there. Um, the, the roads and trails are old ranch roads, they're logging roads, um, social trails. Sometimes they've been there 100 years. Um, so this photo is an example of um, Ponte Fire Road, which is an old ir irreparable fire road that we converted into a trail. Um, but that's, uh, so it's an inherited system of roads and trails. And so back in about 2010, there were discussions on we should have some kind of process to evaluate our roads and trails. And um, we, in those discussions and stakeholder meetings, we developed the road and trail management plan. And so that was adopted by the board in 2015. And then, you know, it's a 200 plus page document. And from that, really, the, there's these three goals you've probably heard me mention before. Um, these are the, the goals that really guide the document and all of our road and trail work. So they're reduce the environmental impacts of roads and trails on sensitive natural resources. Um, improve the visitor experience and safety for all users, and establish and maintain a sustainable system of roads and trails. So every project we do, road or trail, should meet these three goals. Also in the management plan was uh, a, a component on how to evaluate the roads and trails. And so this is a map of six different regions throughout the county. And in just this past summer, we, we completed all of this regional planning. So this was a big effort. We had these big regional planning meetings for regions one through six. Um, we had a lot of public engagement. Um, people are very passionate about trails in Marin, as you might expect. So um, it, we had a lot of interest. And we just finished this process this summer. So this is an example of one of those regional maps. It's very difficult to see. The point of me showing it to you is just to give you an idea that it encompasses a, a large area. It's not one preserve, it's multiple preserves. There's multiple roads and trails on there. And it doesn't get super granular where it's not des describing specific projects. It just creates a blueprint for us to then build off of. So that circle there is um, circling the Memorial Trail. And that is also uh, right behind us on the ridge, and so that is a project that we've been developing for the last four years and just was approved by the board last week. So it's super exciting. Um, we hope to begin implementation later this spring. But that's how the region maps work. They kind of inform smaller projects from the, that process. And now, and, and over the last six years, I've, I've been working for the county for seven years, right around the time we started doing this, We've really evolved our project development process, um, and it's really come to involve a lot of stakeholder engagement. We, we meet with different recreation groups, environmental groups, neighbors, um, really anybody that wants to talk to us about these projects. And we don't have set ideas of what the project is gonna be 
really until we have a lot of conversation. Um, we also started an environmental roundtable group, which is, this is a group that consists of all the leading environmental organizations in Marin. Um, we have two representatives from each group, and we meet once a month, and we discuss projects. And we discuss, um, it started with just public access projects, and now we discuss fuel projects, we discuss um, endangered species monitoring, all kinds of different things. It's really been a great sounding board for us because the members of the Environmental Roundtable are experienced um, members of Marin that have a lot of input, and so they really help form and guide our projects. So it's been really great. In addition to that, we've been doing our own biological assessments for many years. Um, you see spotted owls in the upper right corner of this. We've been monitoring spotted owls for over 20 years in Marin, so we keep a lot of data on this, as well as foothill yellow-legged frogs and learning more information about badger populations. Um, the upper left photo is a badger that we caught on um, a wildlife camera. So we're always trying to learn more info about our land, and then that feeds into the project design. We bring all that information back to the community and to, to the stakeholders, and then we develop the project based on shared goals of these discussions. And you know, through these um, stakeholder meetings, discussions, um, over the years, it's become super obvious that people in Marin are really passionate about trails. And that was so obvious um, during COVID when all of the sports programs were canceled, everything was canceled, everybody was sheltering in place, and the trails of Marin were incredibly popular. And um, it was the best game in town because it was a COVID safe activity. And I, I live in Marin, I live down the street, and I felt super lucky to be here and be part of this, have access to this open space. And so starting at 2016, this is about when we started implementing the RTMP, Road and Trail Management Plan. 2016 to today, we've added um, about 12 miles of newly designated trail. And a lot of that is not newly cut trail, it's repurposed from old logging roads, um, social trails, whatnot. And so I'm just gonna go over a few of the projects, not all of them. And so this one is um, Boulder Springs Trail. This was one of our first ones in Gary Giacomini. This was an old logging road, and so it's been repurposed into a recreational trail. Also in Gary Giacomini was um, the Hunt Camp Trail. And so this actually was an old hunter's trail. And we have records going back, you see old maps. Um, it's 100 years old. This, this trail was on maps that old. So this trail's been there a long time. And so we upgraded it. We had um, about 100 volunteers come out. We camped at a neighboring ranch for the weekend. And um, it was a super fu fun event. And um, yeah, it was a great project. We had a lot of community input. In 2019, um, we upgraded this trail, which we now call the Eagle Rim Trail on Mount Burdell. Again, uh, a lot of volunteers came out. Um, the Rot Rotary Club came out. And so that was a very successful project. In 2020, now this was right in the middle of the pandemic, um, we completed the Ponte Ridge Trail. This was our most ambitious project ever in our County, um, county parks history. Um, this was about three and a half miles of trail. 
It was repurposed from an old irreparable fire road. Um, and we, it was a really challenging build. We incorporated volunteers. It won a, a state award for project development. And this one, we actually, we weren't quite done and ready to open it, but there was so much demand because people wanted to be on the trails. We opened this one a little early, um, but it's quickly become one of our most popular trails. Um, 2021, we upgraded four trails on the east end of Rush Creek, um, the Lucky Aces Trail, um, the Acorn Trail, Blue Oak Trail, and Spurs Trail. And again, some old Jeep roads, some old fire roads, some social trails. Um, we redesigned them into a more sustainable manner to minimize environmental impacts. And in this one, we created uh, equestrian access, which there's a horse arena right there that neighbors Rush Creek, but they actually never had legitimate access, so we created that. In 2000, this was the spring of this year. We, it's a small little connection um, in Terralinda Preserve. There was a gap in our trail network, and so we closed that gap with this trail, and that uh, provides the Montmorin community um, access to the Springs Hill Ridge. This is the Montmorin Trail. And as we speak, we're just finishing up the West Baltimore Trail. And this is in Baltimore Canyon. Um, it's a small connection to the Piedmont Trail. So lots of things going on over the last six years. This is not everything. This is just some of what we've done. In addition to the project work, we are always um, partnering with our fire departments and coordinating with them on the most important fire roads to improve and maintain. And so we're doing that every year. And so this is um, in Gary Giacomini as well, Conifer Fire Road. We're also improving um, and replacing infrastructure. We have a significant amount of trail bridges, fencing, trail steps, retaining walls. And so every year we're prioritizing that and replacing and improving those structures. And additionally, with all this work, we're trying to restore habitat along the way. So there's trails that are unsustainable. They're not going to be part of the system. And so we're leaning into our new native plant nursery, propagating native plants, um, working with the community to restore some of these areas. And then looking forward to the, the next year, a um, couple exciting projects. This is the Memorial Trail. This is, this, um, in this photo at the bottom, you see the Terralinda High School. Uh, this is gonna be a very important project for the school. I've been working with their athletics program. They currently don't, their cross country team and their mountain bike team currently don't have access to this area because the, the trail network is too steep. And so this will provide um, much better access for the neighborhood as well as the school programs. And then we're still working on this one, uh, Roy's Redwoods Restoration but we're hoping that um, we can make some progress and begin um, considering this one for implementation later in 2023. This is, a, this is a, another very big project with a very significant hydrologic restoration component, really to the effects that we've never done before. So this, is, um, this one's gonna be really big and exciting. And finally, you know, when we we're doing all this work, um, we're really, you know, this is our Measure A slogan, taking care of what we have. We're, we're taking care of the people of Marin, the land, but most importantly, the critters that live in the open space. Um, we have to develop and guide these projects to minimize impacts 
And so this is some of our local favorites. So thank you. Thanks, John. So that concludes uh, this presentation. Happy to answer questions from your commission. Thank you. Excellent presentation. I have opened the microphone for any questions or comments from the commissioners. Uh, Michael first. I have, first, thank you for an excellent presentation. I was very impressed with the, the scope and the quality of work from the, the, the signage to the restoration. And being a biker, I'm particularly grateful for that resurfacing of the Sausalito Mill Valley pathway. I do have a couple of uh, specific questions. In the beginning and the end, you, you talked about emergency access and the WUI um, mapping, and, and I wondered, you, you t said you've been working with the uh, county fire department. I wondered if you've been working with the fire prevention authority and the cities and particularly in county planning because in evacuation route planning, one new requirement from the state is to identify the residential neighborhoods with a single point of access. And I was um, hoping you might be able to talk a bit about whether that uh, is something you're doing, particularly in the WUI areas. Um, and I think it, it would be great. And, and then I have two other follow-up questions. Maybe I can start following up on this. And, and really, Jim, Jim's role is being our connection with our local fire partners, so working closely with the Marin Wildfire Protection Authority. And really, the neat thing about the MWPA is we have 17 fire you know, agencies that have fire response, response responsibilities in the county. And so the MWPA creates a really uh, great place for them to work together. And also, to you know, they all have been sort of a tactical response-focused organizations. And so the MWPA has a planner on staff and has helped all those organizations understand the planning process and really become stronger partners to work with us on planning some of the mitigation work. With, uh, with evacuation routes, we work closely with all of those fire agencies. We often get interest from local community members about accessing our fire roads for evacuation. And um, we every time those requests come up, and we talk to our fire partners even before those requests come up, but every single time we've talked to our fire partners and with local communities, the fire partners have, have said essentially they don't want communities going into the preserves when there's a fire. They want them going away from the preserves and that you know, the, the worst case scenario is that if folks did go into our preserves, they could easily get stuck and then the emergency personnel who need to go there to fight the fire on the preserve wouldn't be able to access it. And so, um, but you know, we've, we've, kind of, we've been really open to that, that concept. It, you know, it just, there aren't any of our, our, our fire roads where that, that would be a component. On the other hand, our fire roads are really important for the access of emergency vehicles to actually fight the fire. Like yeah. um, Jim was saying in his presentation, a lot of our work both in the surface of those roads and the fuels reduction around them is to enable that access and for them to have safe places to engage with the fire when it's on the ground. That's very helpful. I was 
uh, not thinking necessarily of going into the preserves, but really as an altered means of access to get down to a point of refuge when you had the wooey areas. But um, I, I, it sounds like you're, you're in communication, and that's terrific. My second question uh, related to the capacity building, and I think it's exciting what you described doing with the North Bay Conservation Corps. I would hope you'd also be reaching out, if possible, to you know people in the canal and down in Marin City to try and uh, invite them to some of the uh, skill building and talk to Southern Marin Fire District. They've just combined with Mill Valley, and that may be an opportunity to expand that uh, outreach and inclu include some of these other communities in the skill building. So that's just a, co a comment. Sure, yeah, and I, I just had, I mean, Conservation Corps North Bay, their campus is on Kerner, it's in, it's in the canal neighborhood and, and serves that community and Marin City and others. Um, we've also worked, you know, at times with the Marin City uh, CDC the Community Development Corporation. It's a training program that's located uh, in Marin City. Um, and, and specifically, it, it actually serves more uh, beyond Marin City itself, but, but is located there and provides job training. Um, but yes, all of those things and more are, are very important and, and have been you know, a, a real success. One other program to highlight that's a similar job training program is uh, with probation, it's uh, through AB 109, so essentially when there was, um, you know, state uh, uh, folks were coming from uh, state prisons to, to local jails, um, the probation department partnered with us to place people who are coming out of incarceration into work experience in our parks and preserves. And that's actually been a really successful program and happy to report that one of the people who participated in that program became a seasonal employee with us and was just hired as a permanent hire landscape service worker uh, with us. And um, it's is really uh, a, a inspiring his story of, of um, being able to sort of have a new life doing that work. I just have a, a, a final follow-up question on the receptacles. I thought the dog receptacles was a great idea. I wondered if you'd considered uh, including a public art component on them. A number of cities are working with arts commissions to invite artists from various communities to help illustrate and, and do it. I know it might not fit in with the, the wayfinding signage, but I wondered if you'd considered uh, public art on the receptacles. That's a cool idea. I don't think we've ever considered them on the receptacles, but we definitely could. And I know, you know, uh, TAR's team in the past has partnered with our cultural services department on art in the park, art projects in the park, public art. Um, so that's a really cool idea. Thank you. Well, uh, you, you might check with uh, Mill Valley and our Arts Commission. We do have quite a robust program, and it was really a very effective way to invite artists from a lot of different communities in. So I think that would be a good one to pursue. I think Pat had a question on that. Yes, uh, I think the presentations were excellent and it just uh, underscores the uh, quality that, uh, that we have with staff, uh, just uh, tremendous. Uh, uh, just a couple of comments on uh, 
fuel breaks. I know, uh, you know, the vegetation management of the fuel breaks is a is a really important aspect, and you've done a great job, Jim, guiding that because that can be very tricky. People see, you know, cutting of certain trees, and uh, you get a real negative reaction. Uh, but um, once people understand that it's actually, you know, a healthy thing for the forest to, you know, get rid of as much as possible invasive species, and to, uh, you know, help the more native uh, plants grow, which are tend to be uh, somewhat uh, fire resistant, and uh, fire resistant uh, habitat is a is a great goal. Um, so congratulations to to a well managed uh, vegetation management program. Uh, Tara has done an incredible job with all the capital major maintenance and capital improvements that have gone on uh, is quite an impressive list uh, and uh, it ranges from the passive to the to the very active and so there's a real broad windshield uh, uh, number of projects so to speak so um, I was impressed with the all-weather uh, track program I, I thought that was really interesting uh, I think that'll be really well used and also the micro surf uh, surf surface program that that's pretty fascinating uh, for us that like that sort of stuff um, natural resources uh, 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 you know I, I'm really also impressed with them we should go back uh, to what Jim was doing uh, the youth employment programs are, are great and those also referred to uh, but I, I think you know the variety of youth employment programs that you know, county parks and open space uh, engages with is really wealth worth noting. And you know, at some point in time, you may want to compose some sort of a storyline about that, uh, and maybe uh, you know our communications department could publicize some of that because that's that's a great effort. People really respond positively to. Uh, those kind of efforts and uh, I did have a question on the connection with uh, Terralinda High to the open space areas the new trail system is that going to be some switchbacks going up and connected to existing trail I wasn't quite clear how that's going to be accomplished yeah so and John could provide more detail but it's but essentially the existing he showed the map of sort of what the future trail system will look like there if you look at it now, sort of like our other preserves, there's there's one designated trail that like goes almost straight up the hill there. It's it's really too steep and it's already really eroded. And there's a huge spider web of non-system trails, just kind of, you know, use trails that have appeared kind over of time. Bushwhack trails. Right? Yeah. And so really none of them are very good. And so the this new trail like you said, it has a better grade in terms of getting up to the top. It kind of um, does have a place where it sort of switches back, um, uh, and and there's there's both a multi-use component that's you know sort of the main trail up, but there's also a horse hiker only and then a hiker only component as well. And there's I think three access points. I think that community really appreciate it. So would this hook up directly with the high school so that? Public could access it through high school property, 
or would it be separate access? It, none of it goes straight to the high school, but it's very close. So it all there's public access from the ends of of three different roads, um, but they're you know a block or something from the high school. Thank thank you. Great presentations. Any other comments, oh, Yolanda? Um, I just want to briefly comment, Jim, Tara, and John, I really enjoyed your presentations. Um, I have actually visited a lot of these sites, and so I, it's really amazing, because I have seen the work, and it's amazing, and, um, you know, especially because I'd visited them before the construction, and so seeing them now, I'm like, wow, this is really, you know, the county parks are really coming together, and the, um, you know, just the spaces. One of the things I wanted to just comment on in favor of inclusivity, um, have we considered putting up signs that were that could be in Spanish just for other visitors that are coming to also feel welcomed and also follow, you know, the respect the the the, the trails and you know the the rules around there. I think that would essentially um, essentially help people feel more welcomed and also help us understand the rules that are asked. Thank you. Oh, and one last thing. I do have to leave in like to five minutes, and I apologize for that. Um, but it, it's been great so far, and I'm really excited to be part of this commission. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, and I don't know if, Tara, do you want to speak? I know we've had plans. It was something that sort of came up that we were like, do you have plans in terms of adding Spanish to our signage? Or, yeah. Yeah. In our, um, the, the, the signs that we showed you for the pathway, the Mill Valley Sausalito pathway, there's Spanish in those, and some of the, the um, signage that we've been developing for parks uh, has Spanish as well. Um, so absolutely, yeah, we, we, you'll see that around, but thank you. Okay, Just a, a comment and then a quick question. Maybe I'll do the question first for John. Um, the past couple times we've had presentations on Rush Creek. I've advocated for um, porta potties or toilets or something out there. Are, are those in yet? No. So yeah, that's it. I we heard that too when we were in our last sort of community survey. Was an interest in in actually a number of different sort of developed aspects to trailheads or open space trailheads. You know, typically our open space trailheads haven't had any developed features. All it's been is parking on an adjacent roadside and then a trail. And But there's a lot of interest both in restroom facilities and in benches or resting areas uh, along trails. And so that's something that uh, I know that John and I have talked about and with our team and you know are potentially considering for the future but would be a significant departure for from our open space planning and so it would likely be something that would you know come back to your commission before anything like that happened i i, I appreciate that i just think that given where rush creek is it's just so close off the freeway and that it's mostly flat and a lot of people access it especially elderly people just having a facility there i think would behoove us um the comment I have is a, a generic one. I harped on this probably a lot before the June primary election for Measure A, but I'll just mention it again. Uh, on all these projects that were done, if there are any Measure A, I didn't, uh, on the signage, I didn't see any, I didn't see any specific wording that said, like, it, like we've done in the past, this 
park or this trail or this space is partially funded by Measure A funds. I know we just passed it, and we, we all think it's going to the next election is a long way off, and it actually is not. Um, so if you could take care to say in the signage that this facility is paid for in part by Measure A funds, I think it would be great, uh, you know, nine years from now when some of us are below the ground. <laughs> yes, thank you, Bruce. And we do have that Measure A signage, both small ones and big ones right. for different projects, and so it's a good reminder to our okay. team to make sure thank that you. that's part Great of presentation, by the way. Thank you. Uh, I just want to, I have the same question as, as um, Michael about the outreach in the uh, commun for the community about the, the, especially with that defensible space concept, I think it's very important to provide the community the information so they can help you guys do this important work, especially in our area that's, we are prone to many fires, right? So that's very important. I think the more we educate the community, and not only educate, but involve the community in the work we're doing, that will reach that goal. So with that, I'm going to invite the public for comments, first people in the audience and then people online. If not, we can go on to the next item, which is also an information item, Natural resources. Well, before we do, let's just make sure. Al, is there anybody online? Yes, it looks like there is somebody online, but oh. we don't have audio quite yet. Okay, Al, can you try it now? Yes, we can hear you. Go ahead. Yeah, I see Yolanda running off, but I would strongly suggest she uh, catch the video of the uh, remaining meeting because there's a lot of interesting subjects coming up on the agenda. And um, I sit on the Citizens Oversight Committee for the MWPA, and I'd like to add a few comments to Jim's comments, which were, uh, again, to what everyone said, excellent presentation. Really thank uh, the three of you for that wonderful presentation. One thing to note is that according to the Marin Grand Jury Report in 2019, there are 69,000 homes in, uh, in or adjacent to the WUI. So that, that's a really important thing to understand. And there's two very large projects going on now, the Ross Valley Shaded Fuel Break and the Novato Fuel Break. And these are the largest projects ever undertaken in Marin County of this sort. Uh, the, the, I believe the uh, Ross Valley project, don't quote me on this, I believe it's about 38 miles. Uh, similar with the Novato, and it, uh, the, the uh, Ross Valley covers, I believe, it's seven districts, if I remember correctly. So there's a lot of coordination going on there. And these, these are shaded fuel breaks. And what's important to understand about a shaded fuel break is that these are designed to slow the progress of a fire. Because what's the most important element of this are our ingress and egress. Um, areas to get people out safely in the event of a fire. Should we have a cataclysmic fire like we've seen around the states, these, these kind of fuel breaks will not stop or prevent those fires. That's not their purpose whatsoever, and it's important for uh, the, the, the public to understand this. Um, I, I would 
I strongly recommend becoming familiar with FireSafe Marin. Uh, they're a tremendous educational uh, uh, resource for, for all things fire uh, related. And then I'd also like to express that uh, uh, with, with the urging of uh, Fire Chief Jason Weber, we formed um, over two years ago, nearly three years ago now, the Ecologically Sound Practices Partnership. And what this partnership has done is, is basically come up with a series of best practices, ecological practices, that the fire folks are following. Because as Jason said to us early on, under, under really a handshake agreement was, look, we know all about doing clearing, but we know nothing about ecology, environment, and, and rare and endangered species, and we want your help. And so we're working very closely together on that. And I'd also like to speak to the uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion element that's been discussed here a couple of times. Um, we have uh, the most important thing uh, um, we're urging uh, the residents of Marin is home hardening. And to that end, we've hired, the MWPA has hired a number of home hardening uh, inspectors. And, and these inspectors come from all strata of our, of, um, uh, our uh, uh, community. And um, with that, I see my time is up. Um, I like the public arts project. I want to add that I went to the water board some couple years ago and suggested we do something similar with the water tanks. So with that, thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to the following presentations. Commissioner Wardell, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Thank you for comments and questions. We move to the next item, number eight, Natural Resources Pro Program Overview, also an information item. Staff from Natural Resources team will present various components that make up the program and highlight specific activities and accomplishments received. Achieve. Thank you, Commissioners. And I'm going to turn it over to uh, Julian and Serena from our Natural Resources team. And this is just a really neat opportunity to uh, see a little bit more about what these folks and the and the um, and the staff that work with them do. It's it's some really cool work. So uh, I'll turn it over. All right. My name is Julian Gagan. I'm the vegetation specialist with Marin County Parks. Nice to meet you all, happy to be here today. Um, and I'm here to talk to you about our seasonal habitat restoration crew and the work that they do each and every year with us. So each spring we hire a team of about eight seasonal employees to form our habitat restoration crew. Um, they come from many different backgrounds and they have many different goals, uh, but this program gives them and an entry point to a career pathway in natural resources management, conservation, wildlife biology, and other related fields. Um, and many of our full-time staff started as seasonal employees, such as these two. And uh, many of our seasonals go on to work for other public agencies or nonprofits or environmental consultancies in the region. So we're very proud of them. Um, the bulk of the Habitat Restorations crew work is on invasive plant species management. Um, an invasive plant species is one that is native to a different region of the world that's been introduced here or wherever you happen to be 
and is displacing and disrupting native plant communities and habitats in that area. Um, and these can have really wide-ranging impacts. Uh, they both directly displace native plants that we're trying to conserve and make up you know, a vital part of our bi biodiversity. Um, but they also have knock-on effects because they change habitats which influence wildlife populations. And they change fire regimes that cause catastrophic wildfires or contribute to them. Um, and outside of natural resources, they impact our food supply and our water supply. So the list sort of goes on and on about concerns of invasive species. Um, so today I'm just going to run through a few of our invasive plant species management projects that our habitat restoration crew works on, starting with invasive broom species. Um, we actually have four different species of invasive broom in Marin County, French, Scotch, Spanish, and Portuguese. Um, by far the most disruptive and destructive in Marin County is French broom, um, which you can see in the lower left picture there. Um, it has these beautiful yellow flowers. It was brought in in the horticultural trade. Um, but now as you drive up the 101 corridor, you may see hills covered in beautiful yellow flowers that are causing widespread problems for um, our native ecosystems. Um, we try to do most of our broom pulling work in the spring when the ground is wet, because as summer rolls around and the ground dries up, it becomes very difficult to pull those large tap roots out of the ground. Um, we manage hundreds of broom sites throughout the open space preserve. Here you can see our crew pulling some French broom in an oak woodland at Loma Alta Preserve. Um, these sites can range in size from just a few plants, maybe even one plant, to multiple acres in size. Um, but unfortunately, we have hundreds of acres of open space that have been invaded by invasive broom plants. So that means that prioritization is like a really important part of what we do, um, trying to have the most impact with the resources that we have at hand. Um, so our habitat restoration crew specializes in finding and treating those smaller isolated patches that are in the interior portions of preserves um, that may have, uh, may form um, like native plant communities that exist there or are part of habitat for rare and endangered species. Um, and this is working alongside and in conjunction with larger scale projects that maybe contractors or the fire crews will manage in defensible space areas where you have you know, much more acreage of brooms. So this is more of a, a precision instrument. Um, so let's see. Here, here's a good example of what I'm talking about. The picture on the left is one large, mature French broom plant surrounded by all of its little offspring. And this is how all of those hundreds of acres of broom started, right? So if we can find that plant and treat it and manage it into the future and make sure it gets eradicated, then we've prevented that next wave of invasion, right? Um, and you can see one of our seasonals there on the right pulling that plant out. 
The next invasive species I'd like to talk about um, is our sea lavender uh, project, which is another project that our seasonal crew works very hard on every year, putting in many hours and many days of labor. Um, this is a species that's been getting a lot of regional attention lately. Uh, there's sort of a Bay Area-wide push for all of the different management agencies to work together to try to control this species before it becomes unmanageable in the Bay Area. Um, so we're very proud to be part of that. Um, salt marshes are very critical habitat. Um, we've lost the majority of the Bay Area's salt marshes over the last couple centuries, so it's very important that we protect what remains because it's important habitat for rare and endangered plants and animals and also for various ecosystem functions like uh, water filtration and preventing erosion and flooding, especially with sea level rise in the future. Um, but this project is much different than broom management, which uses a lot of brute force. Um, this project is about finding little tiny plants out in a large expanse um, so it takes a lot of patience and precision, and that is where our crew really excels um, because they are so dedicated to the work that they do, and we are able to train them to a really high degree of competency that they can actually find and locate these tiny plants out in a salt marsh and keep the population under control. Um, Many of these plants might be like the size of a quarter, and they're still sending up flowering stalks and seeding into the marsh, which can eventually form a carpet-like growth pattern that will essentially smother out native uh, plants and therefore affect the wildlife species that depend on them. Uh, next. Another species I want to talk about is barbed goat grass. Um, barbed goat grass is an invasive annual grass from the Mediterranean region of Europe. And it's problematic because it invades serpentine grasslands, which are a very valuable and important part of our native California biodiversity. Um, serpentine soils, which form the substrate of serpentine grasslands, are very low in nutrients and very high in toxic heavy metals. So for most plants, it's a very inhospitable place that you wouldn't want to try growing in. But as a result of that, we have a multitude of rare, endangered, endemic species that grow only in serpentine soils. So working hard to keep goat grass out of these serpentine grasslands is like really critical work and also leans heavily on our seasonal crew and their specialty of being able to find a single blade of grass in an acre of grassland. Um, and I'd like to go through all of the projects that we do, but the list goes on and on, so I'll just run through a couple of the later season projects. Here we're working at Hidden Lake at Mount Burdell Open Space Preserve, which is actually a vernal pool, not a lake but it is a very critical habitat for amphibians, frogs, salamanders, and other um, rare plants as well. Yellow star thistle uh, is a pernicious weed of rangelands and grasslands in California. Um, 
and we spend many hours and days pulling yellow star thistle in the heat of Mount Burdell during the summer. So I have a lot of respect for our crew during those times. Uh, pampas grass, if you have ever driven up Highway 1 along the coast, you're probably familiar with this species. Um, it's not as big a problem for us because we're more inland than most coastal places where it's uncontrollable, but we do a significant effort to try to keep it that way. Um, and I drew that blue circle back there showing some uh, rare marsh zigadinus that is under threat from these pampas grass that we're pulling out. Uh, but we don't just pull weeds. The seasonal crew doesn't just pull weeds. Uh, it also gives us the person power to do some larger scale uh, natural resource surveys. Um, here we're doing the Tiburon Indian paintbrush surveys, which is an endangered species that grows on the Tiburon Peninsula. Um, and we put a significant effort every year into censusing that entire population so that we have a really robust data set to track the health of that species. And our habitat restoration crew also assists Serena with uh, wildlife surveys, um, nesting bird surveys, uh, burrow surveys like you see in this picture here. Um, so it both expands the capacity of our wildlife program and it also gives our seasonal crew a broader experience, a range of experience while working here that they can help to fill out their resume and hopefully move on to a full-time position somewhere. Um, one other program, sort of a program within a program, is our Early Detection Rapid Response, or EDRR, which is focused on finding newly established invasive species and removing them before they become uncontrollable. Uh, so this is all about surveying for what you don't know is there. We survey roads and trails. We survey wildland urban interface. We survey dozer lines after a wildfire. Anywhere we think that seeds are likely to be introduced, that's where we do early detection surveys so that we can do a rapid response treatment to try to get rid of them before they become established and uncontrollable. Um, and EDRR, it's one of the least visible aspects of what we do. You know, there's no dramatic before and after pictures because it's like you pulled two weeds out of the side of the road. Um, but it's also one of the most valuable because, you know, you're really thinking about the future and trying to prevent that next big invasive species problem from occurring in the first place. Um, yeah, so I hope I gave you guys a sense of what our habitat restoration crew does every year. Um, and I also just want to express our gratitude and appreciation and our dependence on what they do because they're only here for a short time, um, usually nine months season before they move on to something else. Um, but they're very integral to our efforts to maintain the open space preserves. So with that, thank you, and I'll turn it over to Serena. Hi everyone, I'm Serena Hubert, wildlife biologist for Marin County Parks and Open Space, and 
I help manage our seasonal wildlife team um, of about four folks with Nate Clark, who some of you may be familiar with as our biodiversity and fuels management coordinator. Um, the primary duties uh, of her team include biological monitoring, inventory surveys, and community outreach to balance preservation and recreation. So one of the most important roles 